DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults is an adaptation of the Catholic Catechism. It serves as a resource for those who wish to become acquainted with Catholicism. It is an invitation for all the faithful to continue growing in the understanding of Jesus Christ and His saving love for all people. The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Chapter 5, I Believe in God, an Intellectual Catholic. When the brilliant Orestes Brownson embraced the Catholic faith in the middle of the 19th century, he wrote that an intelligent Catholic mind is served by the teaching authority of the Church in the same way that a seafarer is guided by maps and charts. Brownson was among a group of restless religious seekers whose last stops before Catholicism were Unitarianism and Transcendentalism. Brownson was born in Stockbridge, Vermont, in 1803. He and his twin sister were the youngest of six children. His father died when Orestes was a child. Poverty forced his mother to put him in a foster home for several years. He had memorized large portions of scripture by the time he was 14. In 1827, he married Sally Healy. He became a preacher in the Universalist Church and seven years later changed to a Unitarian minister. Later, he was attracted to a group of thinkers called Transcendentalists. They included Henry David Thoreau, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Margaret Fuller, and Elizabeth Peabody. They held that God was somehow imminent in human nature and in the human soul. They were reacting against what they perceived as a Calvinist view of an angry God and depraved human nature. The movement lasted about a dozen years, but its vision had a much longer influence. It is best remembered in Emerson's aphorisms on self-improvement, Thoreau's essays, and the short-lived Brook Farm Communal Experience. In seeking to justify the divine quality of people, Brownson was frustrated by the fact of human sinfulness, the premise of natural goodness treated by the fact of human sinfulness. The premise of natural goodness was not enough. He found a satisfying answer in the Catholic doctrines of the Incarnation and Redemption. He and his family were baptized Catholic by Bishop John Fitzpatrick in Boston on October 20, 1844. For most of the next 26 years, he published his magazine quarterly, The Review, writing most of the articles himself. As a journalist and critic, he examined the important religious, moral, and political issues of his time. When he founded The Review, he said, I hope to startle. I made it a point to be as paradoxical and extravagant as I could without doing violence to my own reason and conscience. Since he switched positions often, he was at times denounced by liberals for his conservatism and by conservatives for his liberalism. Throughout his career, 
Brownson stressed the Church's mission of renewal and the responsibilities of Catholics toward culture and civilization. He died on April 17, 1876. He is buried in the crypt of Sacred Heart Basilica on the campus of the University of Notre Dame. Brownson's story is of interest to us because his journey of faith led him to acknowledge the self-revelation of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. While he struggled with the mystery of God, he also pondered the mystery of evil. He found the satisfying response in the gift of faith that brought him to Catholicism. Welcome, Archbishop Lucas. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be back with you. Chapter 5 of the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, I Believe in God. We're talking in the previous chapter about faith being a relationship. So we're on one end of the relationship, and God is offering the gift of faith. We make the response. It's important if this relationship is going to be life-giving, if we receive the life that only God can give us, that we are open to a relationship with the true God and with God as he revealed himself to us. More than we can take in, more than we can understand, certainly. But it's God's desire to be in this life-giving relationship with us. And so there will be some important things about God, about the nature of God, that we can know because of the gift of revelation. It opens with the reflection we just heard on Orestes Brownson, who was a very well-known intellectual. And yet it was in that revelation to him that was given to him that he entered into what is termed the mystery. He found, even in his intellect, that that mystery could be comprehended, and yet something that could be continually sought after. It's a great paradox, isn't it? Right. The mystery can be comprehended. It can't be mastered. You know, we can't know God as he knows himself, for example, because God is other than we are, so glorious, hidden in so many ways, wondrous beyond anything that we can completely comprehend. But God wants to be known by us and reveals himself in a way that we can be known, that he can be known by us. Finally, of course, and most perfectly, in the person of Jesus Christ. And now we meet Jesus in the church. So it's in the context of the church that we experience and develop this relationship with God. So the church is a It's not an accident. It's not a happy consequence of something else. It's part of God's plan so that we can receive and live the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. When we talk about a mystery, that the chapter really helps us to appreciate that we're not talking about a puzzle. We're not talking like that type of mystery. It's, it's something uh, much more than that, and it's even something that, since the beginning of the church, we've been initiated into the mystery. The mystery of God, the mystery of God's uh, desire for relationship with us. When we talk about mystery in the, in the language of faith, you're right, it's not like a mystery story, or it's not like somebody's you know hidden something or there's clues around, and maybe we'll find it, and, and maybe, maybe we won't. It's, the mystery of God is, means that God is simply too big mm-hmm. uh, to be crass about it. And so we're able, in faith, in a sense, to kneel before the mystery and to reverence the mystery of the immensity, the, the power, the beauty of God, who wishes to have this relationship with us in faith but who is so much more than we can ever comprehend or understand. It's central to the Christian faith. I mean, that is one thing that Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that appreciation of the Trinity is core. It's not Father over here, Jesus over there, 
and Holy Spirit somewhere, we need to have a grasp of that God three in one. Yes, to the extent that we can. You know, you ask somebody, what's the most basic mystery of our Christian faith? And I will get all kinds of answers. But it's, it's the mystery of the Trinity. It all starts with God, with God as he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're able to know that much about God because God reveals himself uh, mm-hmm. to us in a way that enables us to know that, that Trinity of persons. In the gift of faith, God makes it possible for us not just simply to know about the Trinity, but to become involved in the life of the Trinity through the life of the sacraments in, in the church. In chapter 5, it really breaks open that God is the creator of heaven and earth, and that catechesis on creation is of major importance. But what's the relationship of this world to God? If God is offering us uh, a relationship with him, what is the nature of God's relationship to us? What's the nature of the, of the relationship of, of God uh, with the world? And so this chapter points out uh, very beautifully, as we might say in a sense, God is God and we're not. Uh, mm-hmm. God is God and, and we're creatures. Uh, we're created lovingly by God. All of the created world is of God's design and it's created by God from his own mysterious plan in his own uh, wisdom. Creation is a manifestation of God's love. God doesn't need uh, the created world. God's not increased in any way by the creating. God's not enhanced by the things that he has created. And yet, God expresses his love for us in creating us and then in revealing himself to us. As we said in an earlier episode, in many ways in the created world, we see reflected the loving plan of God, the ordered plan of God. But then God further reveals himself in in scripture and, and tradition in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can both appreciate the otherness, the majesty, the, the divinity of God, but also experience this close relationship that is ours in faith. I think it was the great essayist, G.K. Chesterton, an art critic, not a theologian. He came to faith because through art he could see that there is all these creations that would occur, these images, and that the ability that we have to be able to do that is because it was given to us by one who creates. We were created in the image of a creator, and he came through it. Here's an example of using that that intellect to enhance that revelation to him. He was able to work that through, and that's what the book of Genesis and the scriptures give us, we can go deeper in than just even the surface of what appears to be a story. There is deeper meaning to all those things. It reveals the meaning of God's uh, creative plan. In our scientific age, it's important for us to understand what's revealed in the uh, accounts of, of creation in the book of Genesis, that God creates out of love, that the world is created not just by chance, by some roll of the dice, but there's a plan of God that's reflected in creation, that God's created the universe out of nothing. So it's not as if there were something sort of like God that had been around forever that God used to to create the world, but that the world has been created by God who is eternal from nothing. And then we can see the wisdom and the goodness of God reflected in what he creates. And so it's a beautiful part of this relationship in faith to be creatures ourselves, to be immersed in what God is creating at this moment, and to be able to be both recipients of God's creative love, but also stewards in God's plan of the gifts of creation. Also in this chapter, we cover an area that I think so many of us 
we desire to believe, we want to believe in the angels. We even in our creed say we believe in things visible and invisible. And the angels are a very real part of our faith. Uh, they are, and they're a part of God's creation. And so we share life in the created world with the angels. They're beings of a different kind from ourselves. They don't have physical bodies as we do, but are a part of God's creative plan. And as uh, Scripture reveals, sometimes God has used the angels for important moments of communication with us. We're also aware that at some point, since the, the beginning of creation, some of the angels turned against God, were driven out of the heavenly kingdom, and Satan is, is the chief of those. They're referred to often in the scriptures as devils or, or demons. Their activity often is to, to tempt us to evil. But what we know about God and about creation is that God is more powerful than any evil. God's power is not limited. The power of the evil angels is limited. Mm-hmm. You mentioned about they are turning against God, yet here's another great example of a loving God, not a dictatorial God, not a demanding God, but one who allows the angels a choice. They have a choice, as he does us. And th- that's key, that in that choosing to turn away from God or to do their own will to instead of being obedient, as we talked about in that in the last episode, that again, it's about relationship, even with the angels. Well, the angels aren't God, and that's the, we'll get into this a little bit later, but the temptation always is to think that maybe we don't have to be just human, that that somehow we can take over something of what's God's responsibility or God's nature. And that's the, it's a temptation to pride, it's a temptation to falsehood, and we have our own understanding of human freedom, and so we have some sense of of that same freedom being enjoyed by the angels in some way, and, and they're having a will that can choose to respond to God and to acknowledge God as God and allow themselves to thrive as creatures or to try to, in a sense, overthrow the plan of God or take God off of his throne. And exactly how that temptation has come to angels, we we don't know for sure, but we understand it in our own lives. We'll talk more about it. But it's always in faith a question of who is God? Who do we acknowledge as God? And do we submit to as creatures? Who do we adore as God? so that we might thrive, really, as creatures. We can't thrive in any other way. Your Excellency, in in Chapter 5 of I Believe in God, it talks about divine providence. Can you help us to understand that a little bit more? God has uh, sovereignty over all that that he has created, and yet our faith tells us that that God hasn't just set the world spinning and then gone off to do something else, but that God is creating and loving everything in creation at every moment, and so God's providence uh, guides guides creation uh, according to, to his divine plan so that the world can function, we might say, or thrive, work together according to the, the order uh, that God has placed in it. Uh, we recognize uh, sort of what we might call secondary causes, things that can be shown in the laws of physics or or chemistry that help mm-hmm. us understand how God's providence is being worked out in, mm-hmm. in various ways in, in the created world. But we trace all that back ultimately to the plan of God, to the order that God has placed in creation, and to the care that God has for, for creation at, at every moment. A meditation found in the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults. God's providential care. 
God has a special love for every human person and a special plan for each of us. Often enough, God's plan is not what we would expect. Look at the lives of great people like John Paul II or Blessed Teresa of Calcutta. During World War II, Carol Wattia, Pope John Paul II, was a laborer and an actor, but led by God. He entered an underground seminary. Born in Albania, Blessed Teresa found herself seeking out the dying in the gutters of Calcutta. Having the lives of these two unfolded according to their original plans, surely not. If and when we accept God's love in our lives, He can ask surprising and sometimes challenging things of us. Why do so many of us tend to brush aside God's plan for us and our lives? It seems to be because we find it hard to imagine how He can be so loving to us, especially in awkward surroundings. Yet if the divine Word of God could become one of us by taking on our human nature with the cooperation of a young woman in Nazareth, God can surely touch our lives. Now here comes the tough area that those who are professed atheists will use up as their number one trump card. If God is so loving and he does care for us, why does he allow evil to occur? The reality of evil, that is part of that big mystery that we were just talking about. Even before original sin, the created world was not perfect. It's not heaven. And so there is, a, again, in God's plan, a way that things are going to be worked out. That, and see it maybe in what we were talking about in the previous chapter in the, about the pilgrimage of faith, that creation itself is moving uh, towards uh, perfection, and each of us in it is experiencing that, that movement somehow. So we move from one place to the next by challenge. Sometimes it's uphill. So that can be experienced as, you know, as a kind of imperfection. But because God has loved us so much, angels and human beings, he's given us the gift of free will that gives us the ability to love him in, in return. That love isn't rehearsed, it's not mechanical. And so, again, the, the experience of faith is, is of a true relationship. God loving as he loves and, and human beings loving as they're able, but willing, choosing to do that. But with the gift of freedom comes the possibility that someone could use the gift of freedom to do something evil, to hurt himself or herself, to hurt someone else, to turn away from. And of course, we've seen that in the salvation, the history of the human family. Um, not because God delights in that, not because God is influencing us in any way to do something evil, but by the dignity of our human freedom, leaving open that possibility. So, you know, it's hard to think that one of the results of God's loving us so much would be the possibility of evil existing in the world, but I think that's what we're left with. And yet, evil doesn't have the last word, as we see in the saving mission of Jesus Christ, that it's God's desire not just to let the world degenerate as a result of evil choices, but that the world will be saved and ultimately transformed through the power of the Paschal Mystery. That's why it's essential, isn't it, that when we say that we believe in the visible and the invisible and we do look to the 
passion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it gives us hope in forever, and that this world that we're in, the created world we're in right now, is not the end. It's a portion of our existence, but it's a small portion, isn't it? It's an important part of our existence because it's what we have now, and we don't mm-hmm. have tomorrow yet. And God is revealing himself to us here and now, and he sent his son to live with us in this world. He lives with us still in uh, sacramentally in, in the church. And so we value our time here. We value the created world, even though our experience is of imperfection, both within ourselves and in the world uh, around us. But the, the notion of God's providence is that God's working things out. We don't see the whole plan of God. We don't see how some circumstances can be transformed from mm-hmm. things that are very difficult or burdensome into something that, that's life-giving. But the, the Paschal mystery, the, the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus, gives us a glimpse into that mystery of evil and, and redemption and how even in a broken world, God is active and bringing us from brokenness to healing and to life. That's why it's important, that act of faith, that if in our personal encounter with Christ, with God, in that relationship of faith, if we hold that strong, if we nurture that, it gets us through those times when we've encountered evil. Because it does ripple, doesn't it? In our whole culture, it ripples everywhere. It's a very choppy sea. Which reminds us, of course, of the, one of those incidents in the gospel where Jesus was with the disciples in the boat on a very, very choppy sea, that the Lord is with us in this. It's not only that we're kind of getting through things by faith and by our own grit, but God's getting us through it. Mm-hmm. We, we, there's this, again, the, the relationship of faith, which we're holding on to what God is offering us, and God is providing the, the power, the grace to bring us through difficult circumstances, brokenness, pain, to often a place of refreshment in this world, but ultimately to full life with him in heaven. Mm. In chapter 5, entitled, I Believe in God, which we're discussing from the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, Your Excellency, it does take on issues of faith and science. And today, science is considered the reasonable field. Faith and science can go together just as faith and reason. It's an example of the the marriage of faith and reason, really, and the the catechism here uh, encourages us to see that our Catholic faith does not discourage us at all from learning as much as we possibly can about the created world, and that whatever we are able to learn and, and however we are able to master or help to channel or be stewards over the forces of the created world, those can all be ways to cooperate with God's grace and, and with God's plan. We look at what science proposes in the modern age, and, and we see what is according to God's plan for order of the created world, and particularly for upholding an enhancement of, of human dignity. Or we may judge from the light of our faith that there are some uh, things that are misleading or misuses of scientific ability or, or scientific knowledge. So to have science without faith can be a very dangerous thing. Uh, we learn that there are things that we might say or even be able to do in the world of science that could be harmful to us or to others. Just because we can do them doesn't mean that, that they should be done. So we've learned so much more about the, about the human person. You know, the human genome is being mapped. There's a whole science, uh, embryology, and an understanding of human life from its earliest uh, stages. And, and all of these things can really lead us to a, 
a joy and a gratitude uh, to God for how we have been so wonderfully made. But as science advances in some of these areas, there's the ability to perhaps manipulate things in a way that it would be immoral or to even take control of human life in a violent way. That would be clearly against God's revealed plan for us. So this chapter is, again, very effective, I think, in pointing out the, the importance of faith and reason together and of intelligent people. God has given us the gift of intelligence, bringing the light of faith to our study, and particularly to the study of, of the material world. Yeah, I can't think of a particular time in human history where the scientists of that particular era didn't feel they had all the answers, and yet time showed that, indeed, things were deeper or more complex than even they thought. You just have to look at the area of quantum physics in today's world, and they're all scratching their heads because it keeps changing, even for them. I think this is just one area where reveling in the joy of faith while we make those deeper and changing discoveries it can be quite wonderful. Well, faith leads us to be humble, always, because God is God and, and we are not. So the, we have many faith-filled members of the scientific community who, as they are, are able to unravel some of the mysteries of the world in which we live, see that as the opportunity to give God the glory mm-hmm. of, for recognizing the, the imprint that God has placed at every level of, of creation. Others, of course, can be tempted to become arrogant, as you say, feeling that they have all the answers and that, well, we've, you know, we've got the key to this now. We don't need any sense of God or, or God being in God's providence, be somehow guiding all of this. Mm-hmm. So no matter what our profession, uh, we're talking here about science, what faith teaches is, is humility. Faith keeps bringing us back to the truth that God is God and that we're creatures, that God has given us both the intellect Uh, to understand the created world and to understand more of it all the time, and then also the will to use what we know in a way that's good and life-giving, and also with our will uh, the opportunity to love God because of so much of the beauty of God's creation that we're discovering. To bring it background in conclusion for this particular chapter, in discussions about creation, once again we can trust the revelation of sacred scripture guided by the teachings of the church to understand even the beautiful book of Genesis and that beginning of creation, that there's very deep levels of mystery that are contained in the truths that are contained in that word. Sure. We, we acknowledge right away that it's not a scientific textbook. It's an expression of God's revealed truth and a beautiful expression, as you say, of, of God's love that's reflected in his creative action. Thank you very much, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. To learn more about the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, go to usccb.org, the website for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas.